and welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode, we'll be talking about silent protagonists. Some people need words to communicate dumb things like story and emotion, but real heroes know to keep their mouths shut. To help me discuss silent protagonists is a man who communicates all of his feelings through interpretive dance, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? Is this you I'm, being a silent I'm, protagonist? I'm a, yeah, yeah. You got it. Oh, good. Perfect. Perfect. I, I feel like I'm really sliding into these bits a lot smoother now. I know. They're every, all working out. They're all 100% good. Everyone knows that the key to good improv is saying absolutely nothing. It's true. If, if, you, if you're the first one to speak, you've already lost. You've already lost. <laughs> I've read the books. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't tell if we're getting better or worse at our intros. I, I feel like it's worse, but... Oh, no. I mean, they've been spiraling forever. Okay, good. <laughs> Well, you know what hasn't been spiraling, Jared, is the great guests we've been getting on this show. Today's guest is, I mean, someone I've been very excited to get on the show for a long time because he was on one of my favorite podcasts of all time, Weekend Confirmed. And now he's a freelance writer and voice actor. It's Jeff Mattis. Jeff, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Thanks. Thanks. Good. I'm, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Excellent. Thank you for asking. I'm, I'm not lying when I say that. Weekend Confirmed was maybe one of my favorite video game podcasts when it was on, and I was heartbroken when it... Uh, when it finally ended, but I've been slowly but surely trying to get everyone from everyone that was a regular on Weekend Confirmed to, to be on here. So I'm I'm excited that you joined us. Oh no! How, how did you? Thanks, thanks very much, man. That's that really oh. is is very nice of you to say. Um, you know, that was a sort of a a magical time. I think all of all of those involved were uh, uh, were sad to see it end, but are really happy that uh, the show got to take place. And one of the things I've I've been so happy about since the show ended is that everyone seems to have i mean landed on their feet not that i don't know not that everyone was not that everyone was doomed to a life of obscurity when the show ended but <laughs> right, sure, but, sure. but i was but i but i was happy to see so many of the regulars and of the you know the hosts doing great things after the show ended that just because weekend confirmed ended didn't mean that uh, it all went away so right now that's it was cool for that's always someone nice. like me to be able to follow now, how did you, how did you get involved with Weekend Confirmed? Well, um, Weekend Confirmed, uh, the precursor to that for me was Shack News. Uh, so writing for them, I was working at, got hired by Gamefly, and they, I don't know, probably a month or two after they hired me, acquired uh, acquired Shack News, and you mm, know, brought, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, brought Garnet on and to sort of you know manage the whole thing. And uh, that's when I sort of, you know, I got to know Garnet, and and they knew that I, like like a lot of folks, had a real interest in in doing some games journalism. So that's kind of where it started. And uh, the Weekend Confirmed podcast was an offshoot of Shack News. You know, it was that was the mm-hmm. the sort of official podcast there. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a chance uh, to go on the air with those guys. I mean, Garnet and Jeff and Zav and Andrew and and all those guys, Brian, you know, I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're all uh, all really smart guys. All know a lot about video games, and you know, it was mm-hmm. it was a great time. When you were on the show, I knew you as Indie Jeff Mattis, and it's <laughs> in introducing you, I had to <laughs> keep myself from saying Indie Jeff Mattis. It's like burned into my brain. But how how did you get that title? No, that's okay. It's uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I two two part answer. One part of it was that. Jeff Kanata was uh, one of the co-hosts, and I'm another Jeff. And so, just to make things a little bit easier for new listeners to differentiate, 
that's part of the reason the moniker came up, but the reason that Indy was used was because that was sort of my, and still sort of is, my uh, primary area of interest in, in video games is the independently developed stuff, the stuff where, you know, the artist is, you know, the the main voice that you're that you're hearing. It's not, you know, over, uh, you know, overproduced by people who are looking to figure out how to make more money selling it and stuff. It's really just, you know, indie games tend to be a pure vision of of whatever it is they're trying to do, um, and they're also harder to find. So, you know, championing those things, uh, those those types of games uh, was something that I just was drawn to from the beginning and the name kind of stuck so there you go (laughs) (laughs) right on now since the conclusion of weekend confirmed you've actually found yourself i guess more involved in working on on indie games would that be accurate to say yeah that's that's fair to say um in fact yeah everything that i've worked on has been technically i guess classified as an independent title not a big studio title and so you know i've been doing a bit of writing and that that includes punching up existing dialogue or doing assisting with localization for giant russian rpgs that need to sound decent in english so um uh and to to new projects that are sort of you know i guess i'm more of a co-author of um so yeah i mean there's a whole bunch of stuff going on but 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 that's sort of where I where I land, and then you'd layer the voiceover stuff on top of it, obviously. But how was the transition into, I guess, working in freelance? Um, it's it's interesting. It's it's very very liberating. You, you know, the the great thing is you get to work on things that you really want to work on. Um, you have more freedom to sort of orchestrate your schedule and and you know really do things that, you know, go after things that you want to go after and, and projects that you want to be associated with. Um, you know, it's, but it is like you know, any freelance thing, there's a bit of feast and famine, you know, sometimes you're mm-hmm. doing really well and sometimes things are a little slow, but, um, but uh, overall, you know, it's, it's, it's worth it. Now, where did, where did the background in writing and voice acting come from? Was that something you went to school for or is that just something you developed on your own? Yeah. So I, I, well, with the voice acting, I guess tech, technically it started really, really young. Um, I had a younger sister with like a hundred stuffed animals, and and I was the puppeteer, you know. So it was like every <laughs> stuffed animal had a voice. Every, you know, uh, and that sort of, you know, as I got older, I had friends who were, you know, uh, I guess Monty Python was like a big thing. So we were listening to the final ripoff audio tape and imitating and doing, you know, imitation and mimicry and you know, British accents and Monty Python British accents and, you know, stuff like that. So there was always this sort of innate desire to do that sort of stuff. I ended, mm-hmm. I ended up going to UCLA uh, as a theater major. So um, writing and acting were integral parts of my education there. Short story writing, poetry, playwriting, that's something I've done, you know, in my spare time since mm-hmm. the beginning of time so it was neat yeah it was just one of those things where you're taking these existing skill sets and things that you know you love to do and going you know what i'm going to turn this into a turn this into a thing and uh i guess one of the things that you turned into a, a thing is uh narcosis <laughs> right. right yeah i got the i was lucky enough to, to work on that that was actually my foray into 
into game development, I guess. Uh, well, I guess I had a little bit of mobile game development experience from Gamefly, but this was like the first project that I was... I came on as a voice actor. Um, uh, David Chen, who is a frequent writing partner of mine now because of our, you know, how we work together on Narcosis, um, reached out to Garnet, who was hosting the, uh, the Weekend Confirmed podcast, and said, hey, I'm doing this game, and I'm looking for a guy, and Garnet knew I was into VO and or looking to get into that, and so he put the two of us together, and David was like, so it's a game about a, an industrial di- diver stuck at the bottom of the the ocean uh, trying to escape before his oxygen and sanity run out. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. You know, I was <laughs> like my worst nightmare. <laughs> right. I'm looking at, I haven't played it yet, but I'm looking at the screenshots. I'm like, um, I don't know if I can, I, I couldn't no. even get through Soma. That game, it's, me out. And that's only underwater. You know, you're not like out swimming most of the, t- the game. Yeah. You won't catch me do- actually doing any, uh, industrial diving, um, <laughs> in real life. I don't think, um, but it's 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 sort of the, the game's interesting because it's it's sci-fi technically, but it's really not it's not you know super future sci-fi. It's like stuff that they're already prototyping and things that are are real. You know, mining they're down there to mine methane frozen under the under the seabed, and that's actually something that you know a lot of energy companies are looking into doing. Um, so it's it's little things like that you know that, that drew me to it. My my greatest phobia is like being at the bottom of the dark ocean for some. I it, it's nothing that would ever realistically happen to me, but I have like a weird <laughs> phobia of it. But also, I would love to try it. Like I don't I don't know if there's a word for that or like. <laughs> well, I mean if that's been defined as as a human emotion, but like there's something about narcosis that I I feel like I would just love to play it because because it terrifies me because it's like absolutely the thing I'm probably the most scared of in this world. Well, I would recommend um the PC version you can play with Oculus Rift or Vive. <laughs> and it the game the game was designed as a non-VR game first, but I'll tell you what, you put that helmet on, it was the first thing that I had experienced in VR and mm. and there's this sort of tactile feeling that you get because you have this thing strapped to your head. It kind of feels like you're in a in a diving suit. You know, you can kind of look down at your yeah. your gauges and like mm-hmm. look look around the helmet and stuff. So that'll um, <laughs> add a yeah. It's it's yeah. it's great when VR games can sort of hit that that parody because we had um, Jenny Scheuerle. She's a developer out of Australia on the show, and she's was working on a uh, a game where you're in outer space. You're working at a base on the moon. Well, actually, she did two games. One, you're on a space station. One, you're on the moon. But one of the things they found was how how much the experience of like having the computer strapped to your back and putting on the goggles sort of enhanced the experience because it made you it enhanced the uh, sensation of being an astronaut and being in that gear. So that seems that seems really cool when these VR games can sort of match the the physical experience of what you're feeling with what you're experiencing in the game itself. Exactly. That's amazing. That's really cool. Now, how has the the reception for Narcosis been since you guys put it out into the world? Is it weird having a project that's kind of your baby out there for people to play? Yeah, no, it was. I mean, by the time it came out, we were sort of really ready for it to come out, um, which which is good. Which means that we, you know, it was ready. We had done everything that we wanted to do, given the constraints of development. Um, and uh, you know, the reception was we we didn't, despite getting a lot of preview coverage, whatever, a year and a half before the game launched, 
Um, we didn't get a lot of outlets, uh, you know, major outlets covering it. So the exposure wasn't quite what we what we ex what were hoping for. But the word of mouth and the people that play it, and especially you know, if you're a if you're a narrative junkie, um, somebody who's really looking for an interesting story or an atypical sort of psychological horror experience it really resonated with those folks. I mean, the steam reviews are really, really positive. And, you know, I think, I think our biggest hurdle was sort of not knowing how to position the game when it came out, because you, you know, based on the description, you're like, oh, okay, survival horror, but we're really not, the focus wasn't really, you know, to, to make this tense, like resident evil experience, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're in this slow moving thing at the bottom of the ocean. It was more about building atmosphere there's a little bit of light combat in it, but really the 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 main draw was the the narrative and the story and the experience of going through this sort of ordeal, which was which was the focus. And so I think a lot of people really got that. So, well, good. I'm I'm, I'm glad to hear that. What's on the horizon for you? What are you, you working on? Anything cool now that you can so uh, reveal to us? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, let's see. So I was telling, telling you earlier, I was. Uh, uh, doing some voice work for uh, uh, this game called Unruly Heroes, um, which is a French-developed game based on Journey to the West, the Chinese story. Mm, um, yeah. And it's sort of uh, it's a fun little thing. It's you know uh, cool, like uh, anthropomorphic animals. It's got this sort of maybe a slightly darker than Kung Fu Panda, but that kind of vibe. And so that's fun. I might, I'm right now. I'm trying to figure out if I'll be doing multiple. Uh, voices for it or not that's sort of what today's test was about so that's good um, I'm working on uh, well so 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 <laughs> gotta, well, gotta yeah yeah what, what can I say right, I, I keep won't be vague yeah keep keep it super vague David Chen and I are are sort of co-working on uh, something some, some sort of sort of short experience for the next oculus hardware so that's probably about a year out the the, the new hardware so is that the cool. standalone one that doesn't require yeah. cables yeah the stuff? santa cruz yeah that's so um and so we're doing some we're, we're working on something for that very early stages but that's really exciting and those are probably two of the biggest neat yeah and unruly heroes is going to be a, a a smaller title but from what i've seen it looks like it'll be pretty fun well, cool, dude. Again, as a, as a, someone who is a big fan of Weekend Confirmed, I'm I'm glad to hear that you're you're keeping busy and making cool stuff out there in the world. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks. And and hey, you know, if you're an indie developer and you're listening and uh, you want some re very reasonable help, either with voiceover or or narrative, um, find me on Twitter. Reach out. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Where where can uh, where can people hire hire you if they're interested in. Uh, Getting that, uh, that sweet velvety voice on their video so, game. So I'd, I'd I'd say the easiest thing to do would be to you know find me on Twitter. I'm just at Jeff Mattis at uh, on Twitter, and you can reach out to me. I will add you. We can DM each other uh, and figure it out that way. You can also I actually have a, a profile on a site called the Voice Realm where you can actually just go there and and it builds the rates for you, and you can hire voice actors there. So um, you can find me there as well, but. But yeah, just just reach out. I'm not I'm not super hard to find. I'm very approachable and and uh, yeah, make something cool. Right on. Yeah, and we'll uh, and we we'll go over that again at the end of the show. Sure, so sure. People, sorry, sorry for we'll, the shameless we'll, plug. But <laughs> no, no, no. Please, I I live for that stuff. I'm I'm so glad you uh, you're you're working, and hopefully we can help you get some more. 
let's jump into our topic. Uh, we always start out the show talking about the origins of whatever it is we're talking about. And today we're talking silent protagonist. Jared, where did the silent protagonist trope get its, I don't know, get its footing, get its start? <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of a weird one, right? Because technology didn't really allow for a voiced protagonist, you know, outside of some some text. So I guess maybe we, we kind of talk about it from the viewpoint of recorded dialogue being added to games and uh, which of those games chose to have a silent protagonist. Uh, one of the earliest ones that we could find was Space Spartans, which was developed for the Intellivision in 1982. Mattel released this peripheral for the Intellivision called the Intellivoice, which basically plugged into the the console like a, a cartridge and it had its own set of chips and uh, it allowed for computerized digitized voices to come out both male and female um they were sound they're synthesized so they sounded you know very computerized but it was the first game to use the technology it's uh, a that it's kind of a weird little peripheral yeah that one's super cool it, it kind of sounds like if you ever had i don't know like an old apple computer and you ever did the like text to speech you know like it doesn't sound human but it's recognizable as as words it's pretty cool i never ha- i never i don't think i had much experience with the intellivision but man, that, I don't think I've ever touched one. That console is cool. I I went back and was looking at our notes from our episode when we were talking about digital distribution. And I don't know if you remember that episode, but we had talked about the Intellivision there as well because they had the peripheral that you could hook up to uh, like coaxial cable and actually download games. That was like a separate peripheral they had for this thing. So they just Frankensteined this console, man. It, it seemed really cool. Yeah, they were trying. They were trying some new stuff with it. This particular peripheral i guess failed pretty hard when they when it was debuted people were really excited about it they they thought you know this is the future this is how so all video games are going to be using voice from now on uh and then it only supported five games it, only five games ever came out for it mm. um mostly i was just kind of reading up on it mostly because it was so difficult like they actually changed the bit rate for vowels and consonants because to save space there just like wasn't enough space on the thing to um hmm. to do the exactly what you'd want to do so it was like very tedious i guess to develop for um so yeah only only ever had five games that supported it but it was a good start uh shortly after that uh some game called sinistar came out some game, game some game <laughs> some Jared. game some this, game. this little game called sinistar <laughs> it was credited as the first game to utilize a recorded an actual recorded human voice voiced by radio personality john dormis and uh we recorded several lines for the the boss enemy sinistar so it was famously included the, the the line "Beware, I live, I hunger, I hunger, coward, and run, run, run." And if you worked in an arcade during those days, you heard that on it's loop over, it's, and over. It's, and it's over. burned into your brain forever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Did they did they turn that into a, a pinball cabinet? No. Um, eventually, what I think it, I had, it had an, a twenty six hundred release on the atari but i don't think they carried over the voice because they i believe when they built that cabinet they had to build in like the sound chip specifically for that game what was what's what's the pinball thing i'm thinking of that had like it was like zoltar or something i don't remember there's a few years before that there was the pinball game gorgar which might be what you're thinking gorgar yeah maybe uh, so that was a that was one that was made by Williams, and that also included recorded human voice. But this gets into that gray area of like, do we consider pinball pinball a video game? Now, I I don't know if we if we know or if you know Jared on Sinistar or Jeff, if you know, did they just record a few lines and then 
sort of like shuffled them around to make different sentences. Cause I remember Gorgar there were whatever, like he said seven words and they just kind of rearranged them. And if, and when I listen to Sinistar, it makes, it reminds me so much of Gorgar. And I, I guess I don't know how they, they handled it. If memory serves and it may not, but if memory serves, I'm, I'm pretty sure these, the things that Sinistar would say were, there might've been a random element to them, but they were based on sort of how bad you were kicking his ass or, you know, mm. when when he showed up, he would say something because um, he wasn't the only whatever floating space head that you would fight. I don't think, but but uh, yeah, I think I think there was a random nature to it. And part of it, I guess, is just because there were so few things that he said. But but I I, th- I think there were triggers for those things. I don't, mm. I don't think it was just like a endless loop of. Were you a Sinistar fan? Did he steal a bunch of your quarters when you were younger? Uh, he stole a few of my quarters, uh, but I no, I, I did not. Uh, Sinistar was not one of my jams. I was like mm. uh, Mr. Do and Dig Dug and Spy Hunter and that kind of stuff. Almost a decade later, Wing Commander, the, the sequel, Wing Commander 2 came out. And this is credited as one of the first fully voice acted games that had a, a full cast. And you actually had to run a custom memory manager, which modified your, your OS, your computer's OS, to allow the game to access additional resources necessary for the voices. And I guess the all of the recorded voices were supplemental and required an actual separate in- install from the base game. In 1993, uh, Myst came out for Mac, and it was designed by brothers Robin and Rand Miller. The game was developed by Cyan Inc. It was a first-person exploration game, and players traversed a really beautiful pre-rendered world solving puzzles at, and cover pieces of the story and allow for... Uh, more exploration and, and kind of revealed the story to you over time. You took on the role of the stranger who was a voiceless character and they dropped into uh, you got dropped onto an island to uncover the mystery. The lack of protagonist dialogue is notable because the other characters in the game are re- represented in FMV. So it's not the first example of a sound protagonist, but it is definitely one of the earliest examples. It included voice acting, but not for the uh, lead character. I remember you played this game a lot, Steve. Yeah, I actually have um, some really great memories of playing this game because my mom is not the biggest video game player. I mean, now any video game she plays is going to be like a Connect 3 or, um, oh, what's the one she really loves? Zuma, like where you're shooting colored balls at other colored balls. Oh, yeah, I feel like your mom's probably still playing that game. Oh, no, yeah, she she loves that game. But when I was younger, she, she was all about the like point-and-click adventures, like... Uh, Spent a lot of time playing Mist with her. Um, Legends of Kyrandia, if anyone remembers that game, I can't remember mm. who made that one. That's an obscure one, but um, yeah. So I've got I've got good memories playing Mist. How about you, Jeff? Did you were you uh, into Mist at all when that one came out? Yeah, I did. I did do the Mist. <laughs> yeah, in fact, <laughs> I remember, and that and that was one of those those ones, uh, one of those rare instances where my folks were well, my dad specifically were. They, I'd find him playing it. Um, mm. and my dad, yeah, it's funny. My dad actually got into, you know, relatively recently we were playing portal two together, you know, so he's, he, he's getting up there, but he's still kind of, you know, a, a light gamer himself, but yeah, mist is sort of one of those first, I re- I just remember how good it looked when it came out. Oh yeah. It was just like, wow, this is so beautiful. You know, I, a lot of the stuff was, you know, not comparable graphically to it. And I also remember the puzzles being just ridiculously hard. Uh, but They were so obscure. But maybe that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I was terrible at those games. On on a side note, there's there's a some VO I recorded for um, a game that I don't know if it will ever come out, but it's called Zed, and it's uh, one of the guys who's uh, basically the creative director, a guy who's in charge of it, was one of the original artists on Mist. So that's sort of oh, a nice. weird uh, weird connection, but. This is one of those games I want to go back and, and play again because they did the so originally it was pre-rendered. Did they like, remaster it or something? Well, they did like the full 3D version of it where you where oh, rather right. than it being pre-rendered, you could actually have free movement in the world, and that seemed really cool. I want to go back and see if it's as bizarre and as hard as I remember it being when I was younger. It's probably as bizarre. <laughs> probably. <laughs> I I also have this theory that I was like smarter at video games when I was younger than I am now. Like I don't know if I had, if I had more patience to just sit in front of a computer and try to solve a puzzle. Well, or maybe it's the maybe the internet has ruined me now. I mean, I, I'm not the person who like quickly jumps to game facts to try to figure out everything about a game. Well, I'm I'm there's I'm certainly old, times. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember like the days when there was no hint line. There was no or 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 they like Sierra online was like launched their hint line and it was, you know, a, no, a phone number you had to call and work oh, yeah. and work through $5 a minute. Yeah. Work through an automated phone tree. Or if you were really lucky, like, you know, you'd, you'd find a BBS and have a computer that you could actually get online and like, look what people were posting on the, on the message board. But yeah, it's, uh, Sorry, I'm really dating myself. No, no, that's no. I, I, I love that. Like, there's, there's a part of me that misses calling those hint lines. You know, they were so silly. Like to think about them now, they were like, if you're stuck at the throne puzzle, press one. You know, right, right. No, exactly. No, whoever recorded those things must have, uh, must have been either a gamer or just wondered what the hell they were saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, what am I? I remember having I reading dial here? up. AOL internet and finding a walkthrough for Final Fantasy 7 printing it out because it was like 200 pages and then and then putting it in a three ring binder so if that says anything about uh, um, my wow. age amazing well and 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 keep in mind too the the puzzles like back in the day were harder right like there were you know the text-based adventures it wasn't just like select from a menu before Lucas Arts figured out how to do a floating you know, talk or grab or whatever icon menu. It was sort of like mm-hmm. you had to write short sentences like pick up the shovel or pick oh, use yeah, banana like, like on door. Yeah. Uh, and it's like or you know, even or even early Sierra games, King's Quest and Police Quest and Space mm-hmm. Quest, all those games were you know, a lot of it was just trying to guess the right verbiage to uh <laughs> you know and, and I'll tell you what, that's 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 a challenge. We're we're old. This is yes. something like my this is something my son will never know about. In the except olden for, days of video yeah, except for games, me waxing poetic, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. We didn't have our neural uplink controllers. We had to use our hands. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I don't. I was trying to define. I was trying to define, um, you know, silent protagonist, and it was it was real hard to like come up with sort of the history. Mist was was maybe the best example I could find of a game when voice acting had become a little more normal, and they chose not to do it, not to include a voice for the main character, but. Jeff, when we're talking about a silent protagonist, what does that mean to you? Like, well, what, what what's included in that definition, and maybe what's not included in that definition in your eyes? So, I, I look. I mean, there there are a couple of reasons over the years that that silent protagonists have existed, right? I mean, we were sort of talking about it just a minute ago. The the technological limitations, sort of, you know, just said, hey, that's that's not an option, right? You're not going to have 
you know, Zelda waxing poetic about, you know, or Link waxing poetic about, you know, whatever he, it is he's talking about, you're going to have to do it with text. And I think, so there's a certain level of that that has carried over to present day, but it's more of a conscious choice, right? And I think that's why you see, like, these these legacy characters, like, especially Nintendo stuff, because that's been around for a long time, uh, with Link and with Samus Aran and, you know, these characters that sort of have always been silent protagonists. Mm-hmm. And and then, like, I don't know if you guys played any of Metroid Other M, but that was the first game where Samus Aran was voiced. And it's, and it's sort of, by the time they got there, they ran into this weird problem because, I mean, a lot of people, myself included, didn't really care for the direction they took it. And then all of a sudden this character that you've projected so much on over the years. And, you know, I think that's why they shy away from, you know, finding more different. I mean, Mario is probably the best example of like a legacy character that they've sort of voiced a bit. Do you count Mario as a silent protagonist? I mean, for the purposes of, of the discussion that we're going to be having, does Mario count? Cause he, he kind of does have some lines, right? Like everyone, it's a me, a Mario. Like everyone knows that. And he does the little like, Oh, ha, and the jumping and, <laughs> right sure, I mean, yeah, this, no, is, this is this is me trying out for the role of mario in the up in the upcoming movie guys it's not bad so i hope i hope i've done it well <laughs> that's good that's good um it's a me <laughs> so so yeah i mean i mean like link is the same way right he you know makes grunts and jumping noises and climbing noises and stuff like that but i, I don't know as far as would i would i include i tend not to include those characters because uh, I mean, I, I I tend to call them silent protagonists rather, not not voice characters, because while what they're doing is emotive, the information that they can convey is relatively limited, and it's and it's not you know like a you can, there's still so much you can project from yourself onto Mario, like mm-hmm. um they they don't have you know I don't know maybe some super fan knows what his favorite movie is or you know whatever all the, all these little details that you, you can just project anything you want for the most part onto that character they're not trying to to say well you know let's give mario a backstory and you know he he went to plumbing school and like had this boss that was like you know used to beat him with a wrench and you know had to get out of that situation <laughs> and and you know i mean like you get it's it's ridiculous right to even think about because it's not he's not a three-dimensional and we've know. long established on this show that the story of Mario makes no sense. There's a turtle that kidnaps a princess and then he climbs down tubes. None of it makes any sense. It does if you start with the mushrooms. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, of course. How could I have forgotten? Right, right? But I mean, yeah, but you're right. It's totally, you know, it, it, it's not meant to really make literal sense. Yeah, I, I, I think that maybe for this definition of silent protagonists, it's not that they can't speak, but maybe they don't take a active role in communicating narrative information. Cause there's nothing you glean from Mario's grunts or Link's grunts that really help further the story. Right. It's just sort of these exclamations punctuating right. what's like actively happening on screen, but nothing really beyond that. Jared, how about you? What when you think about a silent protagonist, what, sort of what what fits into that definition for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we covered it, but I I choosing making the the conscious choice not to have your character speak. The the first game that pops in my mind is absolutely Half Life Two. Yeah, I think that's uh, maybe the first thing that 
pops into a lot of people's minds once you sort of move away from the Nintendo stuff. Yeah, the Gordon Freeman character is a shining example of a character who actively does not speak in a world full of characters who do speak. Right, yeah. And I, I, I kind of played that game after the zeitgeist because I, I didn't get into it until the orange box came out several years later and i had already kind of been heavy into you know narrative first person games and i was kind of i was kind of off put by it. it to me it seemed like one of those things that didn't hold up well that aspect of it anyways now, I, I have a question for you guys so in in some of these games where the protagonist doesn't talk like um, like uh, Half-Life, we'll say, is the implication that the character is actually speaking and it's just not being communicated to the player for some reason or another? Or is it supposed to be that the, the character is actually just not speaking for some reason? How, how do you guys, how do you rectify that in, like, in your own playthroughs, Jeff? Well, I, so, so it's interesting because when I played Half-Life and Half-Life 2, I mean, they were, played them when they were new and back then it wasn't, the the silent protagonist thing was was still relatively common, especially in shooters. I mean, Doom Guy was, you know, it, and remains to this day a voiceless a voiceless character. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was like the, the the game the games that do that successfully are the ones where really the character that you're inhabiting you're bringing your own backstory. You're bringing yourself to it you know and and so with games like half-life looking back back at those with in retrospect it's like well you know you know gordon there, there is something something intangibly and this is probably just nostalgia but like i liked really liked playing through those games but it but there's no denying that when you play through them today it is weird to have all these other characters talk to you and ask mm-hmm. you questions and get up in your face and for your avatar not to speak. So, you know, if you take a complete like 180 away from a game like like Half-Life and you look at something like No Man's Sky for example, which is basically okay, you are stranded on a planet, you are in space, you are exploring, you know, there is no Buck Rogers like space cadet whatever and have a and have this backstory that you can really attach to. It's all about projecting yourself into this world. And anytime you have a specific authored story, when you do that, when you remove narrative from the main character, you also sort of remove the ability to have that character have a real character arc. Kind of. I, I, I think that's a good way to put it. I think that's probably my main, the main reason that I, when I think of a silent protagonist, I don't really, I don't think of it positively. Right. Um, but I think as we go through this and give some examples, it, it does work in some instances. I think it works in a lot of instances. I was trying to, I was, you know, in putting show notes together for this episode, thinking a lot about like what games have voiced protagonists. And there's still a lot of games out there that don't, you know, don't have the main character speak. It's still pretty common. Um, maybe our, maybe our, they fit in certain games better than others, but it, it's still a, a very common practice to have your main character not speak at all. And it is, it, you brought up an interesting point, Jeff, in talking about, the character arc it makes it a lot more difficult to communicate what is you know emotionally changing over the course of a story for the the main protagonist if if you can't hear them well your character essentially say yeah the character arc in those cases gets replaced by upgrade paths and 
and skills skill trees and things like that right so you are progressing you are growing but it's not in in an emotional like and and again that would be a the first game that does that that would be a super amazing sort of design challenge is to create a silent protagonist where well i mean i you know i i don't know maybe there are some indie games now that i think about it that that sort of touch on that or that do that that give mm-hmm. give you that experience but but yeah in, in mainstream stuff certainly not you don't really yeah you don't really see it yeah those yeah it, and it's you're absolutely right sort of those other systems take over to represent the character growth i it i've been playing the remaster of dark souls in in playing that game sort of realize a couple of things about the silent protagonist number one i i was i was actually curious like is it implied that this character just doesn't have a voice or are there, you know, again, are there things that are just not being represented to the player because they, they want you to maintain a certain illusion about the protagonist, but the implication is that the protagonist is talking. Cause when you walk up, you know, and you, you speak to other people in the game, they address you as if you've said something to them. It's just, you've never, you know, you don't hear those words come out of your character's mouth. Um, so when 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 games do the silent protagonist, but everyone else has a voice, like do do you guys feel that you're being talked at? Because like often, I just feel like I'm listening to like a monologue, especially in in the Souls, the Dark Souls games. They just kind of go on and on. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? Because we we just talked about Dark Souls in our last episode when we were talking about how rich in lore that game is and how it doesn't beat you over the face with you. You have to like actively go see it. But does it feel like it's just all they're doing is providing exposition all the time. Cause that's a lot of the times what I feel like when I'm being talked at, when my character doesn't have a voice. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, yeah I think no, you're right on. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree as well. I mean, it's, it's weird to me cause there, there are games that I legit enjoy, but when I think about them from a narrative perspective, like the first dishonored game or, you know, more recently far cry five, right. Both have silent protagonists both sort of don't work for me for different reasons, right? Dishonored is a great story, but you are playing a character with a history. Case in point, the decision to voice him in the second game to differentiate him from the other character, uh, from Emily, it's like, it's like, you know, that, that whole decision to make him silent is really weird, especially if you play at the beginning of the game and, you know, the Empress gets assassinated and these guys are accusing you of, of doing it and not so much as uh, Hey guys, it wasn't me or, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess sort of the intent is, well, the player, you know, would be shouting this at the screen or, or whatever. Yeah. Like it's so obvious what you would be, what you would say, but it does sort of, you shouldn't feel like you're playing a mute unless you're playing a mute. It dishonored itself as a game about, uh, sort of expressing yourself through your approach in that game, right? Like like approaching it with combat or with stealth and then what abilities you're upgrading. And I, I feel like when given so many sort of choices in that game that it then feels weird to have your character be sort of non-present in the the conversation side of things. Right, right. Yeah, given the political nature of what you're doing, you'd think there'd be more than just the strong, like, look, I could see a totally compelling game similar to that, where you're playing as uh, a ninja who never speaks or an assassin who never speaks, but then you construct the narrative around that. 
and you mm-hmm. actually and you actually call attention to it and you make it a thing. Um, you know, it sticks out in Far Cry Five as well because, but for a different reason. It's it's because, man, everybody in that game is so freaking chatty. You know, it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's and it's cool, but at the same time, it's like you're your character after a while starts to feel like this sort of blank slate, sort of like your Claude from GTA three, right? You just kind of do yeah. what, do what everybody says. And whether you, you know, you don't seem to have much of an opinion about it other than, okay, these people are trying to kill me, so I should kill them. Your, your character doesn't, there's no backstory beyond you're a rookie cop, you know? Yeah. And, and I think you made an, an important distinction, Jeff, when you said that the character's, uh, if you're playing a character that's supposed to have a backstory and, and a character arc, um, I, I often feel that the silent protagonist trope sort of conflicts with when that happens. Like yes. in, in Far Cry 5, you're, you're obviously supposed to be like this rookie cop. You're not supposed to be just like, you know, Joe Schmo off the street. Um, right. in, in some some games, it's like they want you to just be like in No Man's Sky. You are just in that universe. Uh, you are role playing as an explorer. Uh, but in the game, like for example, I'm playing through Prey. The 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 protagonist is, and it can be uh, you can pick your protagonist, male or female, in the beginning, uh, and that's as much customization as you get. But all of the dialogue in that game, it's very Bioshocky, where it's all delivered through recordings, and you even like get to see past recordings of yourself, like you've lost your memory of things that had happened. So you you see yourself in a video recording, and they're talking there, but you're never actually talking as that character at the, you know, in the present time. So it's an, it's a weird choice. I think that uh, often comes down to like whether or not you're supposed to be playing a character or if you're supposed to like be role playing as, you know, a person in that situation. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally and completely agree. I mean, there, and there are some games that even, that even, you know, do it well for a certain period of time. And then, use some narrative device that you're like, okay, now the character needs to speak. Like there's no way that you would just stand here stoically and like, yeah. listen to all of this blank stare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like dead space is a prime example, right? Like you, I love the fact that you're, you're kind of all alone and you're, you know, going through and you're getting radio communications and you're, you know, that you don't speak, you can kind of project, but, but even they realized that you get to a point and you're like, all right, look, if you want to have other human players in this, in this drama, you know, people that he's that are telling him things that he doesn't know in real time, or that he's seeing or interacting with. You can't just have him. You know, you're going to start to think that like maybe he's not like mentally all there or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, just occasionally yeah. when when a tentacle pops out of a vent, I would like him just to be like, Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> exactly. you, right. You don't have to. You don't have to have him be like, you know, four score and seven years ago the necromorphs. <laughs> no, you just like. But but to just do some minimal, like almost like man with no name, Clint Eastwood sort of dialogue, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like if he says something, it's super brief and to the point. And so this is kind of getting. So I I remembered my other point I was trying to make earlier, and now <laughs> here I am five minutes later, finally coming back to it. But um, it made me realize in, in a game like Dark Souls that I don't know if I would want the main character to be voiced at all because I feel like a lot of times when voice is given to a character that has not been voiced for a long time, it, it can be a letdown kind of like you were talking about Jeff with the, um, the Metroid series. Mm-hmm. But like, I was trying to, I was trying to imagine like what would the voice for this character in dark souls sound like, right? Cause you, you really only kind of have a couple of, of 
traditional options. It's either like the, I don't know, like the Nolan North sort of like, I don't know, pluck, plucky upbeat, which wouldn't really work in that universe. Or you get the, uh, I don't know who did the voice of Geralt and Witcher, but you get the like gruff, like, yeah the witch the witcher three days sex like school of voice acting yeah yeah and i don't think i don't know that any of those would really work in that world i mean i'm sure they're i'm sure that if you know you spend enough time working on it you can find something that works in that world but it it also is like maybe maybe just wouldn't really work there this but going back to kind of what your original question was jared like do you feel like people are talking at you i i definitely feel like that's the case half-life 2 a game i had um, fun with when it came out, but I don't think it's aged as well as a lot of people seem to feel it has. I definitely felt um, like infantilized a little bit. Like I was like I was being treated like a child, right? Like I was being given instruction and I had no agency in, in what my character was doing or the, the arc of the story or anything like that. And it's not that I... <sighs> this gets into like a, a weird area too because it's not like i was necessarily expecting to be given choice in dialogue but it definitely does make you feel like like a kid when you're being just told what to do and your character is not engaging in the narrative side of things did you do you guys feel that way at all yeah i do i do and 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 the i was just thinking there's a game that does actually does first person participatory dialogue from the player very well and that is uh titanfall 2 um oddly enough because there are times when your robot character is talking to you and you actually get to press up or down to decide how your character wants to respond and then your character mm. says a line and it's really sort of this neat and you don't have to like you know it's it's a first person shooter you're not going to be navigating through paragraphs of like oh what do i say you know it's it's just sort of these binary choices but it creates this element of agency now in a in a game of in a game like dark souls or Bloodborne, your only means of communication is, and then a lot of shooters, your only means of communication is to shoot stuff or blow it up, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the question is, all right, well, that's mostly what you're doing. You know, I think their sort of, you know, this sort of prevalent design philosophy has been like, look, okay, this basically, if you break it down, this character that they're running into is a signpost that tells them to go this way and get this thing, you know? And and so that's how they treat it. They treat it expositorily. They don't treat it like, what's this guy's backstory? And does he appear later in the story? And so many of the characters are so functional and disposable. You know, they serve a purpose and then they're and then they're gone. There is no three dimensionality to it. And I think that extends to Dark Souls and Bloodborne games like that. I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, I, and I think there's great examples of games that are being developed now that make use of the fact that your your character sound. And we'll get to those in a little bit. But while we're still kind of talking about maybe games that are held back by a silent protagonist, I, I again, I think this is now three episodes in a row. Want to bash on Destiny a little bit? <laughs> your favorite game, my favorite your game, favorite games of all time. That I just that I uh, apparently just take a shit on every time we record an episode. Um, Destiny is a weird example of a game because it started out like vanilla destiny destiny one the the main character the protagonist was voiced for the entire course of the the narrative in that game you your character had a voice you talked with your ghost you talked to other characters in the world and there were three different races you could choose and three you know and then among those races you could choose to be a male or a female and they each each race and gender had its own 
voice actor associated with it. And then after the, the very first DLC, your character no longer spoke, has never spoken a word since, at least as far as I know. Um, I, I haven't played the most recent DLC for Destiny 2. But that seemed weird because your character could talk for a while and then eventually all of the dialogue just came from the ghost. And this goes, this takes what I was talking about earlier about feeling infantilized to the like nth degree where I felt like I used to be a part of this story and now I'm just like a servant to to my ghost. Like I, I'm just along for my ghost's ride essentially in that story. So, so I wasn't like a hugest fan like of Destiny as, as a probably voiced several times but i don't i mean i played through the whole story up until taking king and through taking king i believe and i don't i don't remember this at all i don't remember what who who did the voice acting for that do you know well for the they i think they had the six, i think they had six separate voice actors because there was a different voice for each of the three races and the the individual genders within those races it must not have been important because i i don't remember that well and that could be a function of just destiny having sort of weak storytelling to begin with but it 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 strikes me as very odd i'm i'm, I'm kind of with you the only thing i remember about, about the vo and that is that peter dinklage got kicked off and they re-recorded his stuff with <laughs> nolan north for, and for nolan north he's taking yeah. he's going to take over everyone's voice acting job. <laughs> So, lock your lock your doors, Jeff. He's coming for you. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm trying to come for him. I mean, he's 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 all set. You know, I don't think he's... I've I've heard the only the only thing the only way to get into being like a big name voice actor in video games is for him to die. I didn't <laughs> I didn't make that up. I've just heard I've heard that. No, look look, there, <laughs> it was the, probably him that said it. <laughs> look, there there's definitely a a level of insularity to the VO business, right? And but it's I mean it's mm-hmm. true of anything, but it's more compact in vo because it's sort of like you work with somebody you're you know you're easy to work with they like what you've done and then you know all of a sudden they're calling you next time they have a project or they're recommending you to somebody else or you know it's it's sort of very communal in that you know voice actors like talking to each other and helping each other out to a certain degree but it's also very much like you know if you've got one guy that's kicks ass or two guys i mean troy baker's sort of the same way like he's awesome and he gets a lot of work, you know. They only ha- they only needed one guy to do the in a world trailers for like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. I mean, he he did all those or or most of them, right? For for mm-hmm. a long time. And it's if you can afford to hire the talent that you know is going to be able to do something, you know, it's like sort of like what Hollywood does. You know, they don't want to take any risks unnecessarily. It's an insular business, and it is sort of hard to get in there and i'm still you know i got my foot wedged in the door and i'm like trying to get my other foot in there too so yeah. you know it's it's a process and I, I i i'm just gonna say this for the record nolan north i hope you're happy and healthy if you're listening to our show thank you for listening <laughs> dude yeah, your, your work's amazing <laughs> i like to assume that he does yeah. um, no he, he is he's a, a great voice actor and has voiced some amazing characters over the years so that i'm not i'm not advocating for <laughs> the assassination of no no i mean i mean that's the thing and that's the thing is most voice actors especially the really successful ones are genuinely really nice people i mean on top of being really talented you're not there are there aren't i haven't encountered nearly as much like ego and on set bad behavior from people that work in that business it's it's just people are cool and those guys are no exception from what i can tell Right on, yeah. He seems he seems like a, a dope person. Yeah. Now I feel like we've been um, 
maybe down on silent protagonists a little bit. Let's switch the conversation to talking about some games that uh, utilize the silent protagonist well. So Jeff, what's are there any games that sort of stick out in your head as being the, I don't know, like the pinnacle or, or great examples of a silent protagonist used to their, their full potential in a game? I have a few examples. I think games like Play Dead makes, like, like Limbo and Inside. Oh, yeah. You know, mm. the completely visual, you know, aesthetically, aesthetic storytelling, right? No voice work whatsoever. And so those games and games like, you know, Ori in the Blind Forest and things like that, they figure out ways to work their storytelling in in different ways, whether it's visually or having a disembodied narrator sort of storyteller character sort of tell you what's happening, but the protagonists themselves isn't uh, actually saying anything. So I think I think those are really effective games, you know. And 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 mm-hmm. to a, to a to a, by extension, I would sort of lump a game like Okami into that, just because. You know the main character. The main character doesn't speak. It's I mean you're a you're a, a sun god in a wolf body or whatever the the actual thing is. But but you have all the other characters are talking to you. It's it makes sense in that game, right? You're, it's not like you want the dog to be conversing with people. It's all about this this character finding out you know helping heal the world and solve help other people solve their problems and that sort of thing but it's not really necessary that they say those things themselves the the visual storytelling is really really strong and then on the other side of things also very effective are ironically i think south park the stick of truth is one of the best examples of an rpg using a silent protagonist partly because they make fun of it and they call attention to it and they're very aware of you know very self-aware of the fact that their main character isn't saying anything yeah i I just recently saw uh, deadpool too so i've had i've had stuff like that on my mind recently you know this it can be great to sort of adhere to a trope but also call attention to it and and that that can be used to great effect you know to be very funny and also quite poignant right no absolutely absolutely and just as another example, you got something like Hotline Miami, which is sort of similar to, you know, I guess you could sort of say, you know, they're telling a story visually, and but part of that that whole storyline is like, who the hell am I, and what am I doing? So, you know, it works in in that in that regard. Yeah, I think um, isolation is a sort of a great excuse to have a silent protagonist. I mean, you brought up the game Limbo, a game about a a child who is essentially by themselves in this dark world, it wouldn't make really any sense to have that character speak because they're alone. They're isolated. So in, in games like that, it, it can help to reinforce one of the, the biggest themes of the game, you know, mm-hmm. being alone and having no one to rely on, but yourself. Um, I love hotline Miami. I, I don't know what the story is of that game, uh, I don't, I don't know if you're supposed to understand what's going on in that game, but definitely, you know, not not having a, a protagonist who doesn't speak um, helps further obscure exactly what's going on in that world. You're never really supposed to know if what's happening is is real or if you're the person perpetrating these things. So yeah, that, that's another really really cool example of a way that a, a silent protagonist reinforced the uh you know the aesthetic that the, the game was going for well inside also by play dead uh that game doesn't have any dialogue at all but probably one of my favorite video game stories and i think that 
by not having, you know, it's a silent protagonist, but also, you know, there's no dialogue for the rest of the game. It allows that allows that world to almost become a character in itself because all through all the visual storytelling. I mean, when that game came out, I was like, man, this this is like when I want to talk about video games as art. I think about a game like Inside because it is almost dreamlike in its presentation of the story, but it works so well in that context. And I I would love to see more stuff like that. If you're gonna choose to have a silent protagonist, uh, I think you have to have you have to be really really good with your visual storytelling on that side. No, I I, I agree. I mean that's and that's why it's it's so rare to. I mean I mean yeah, because you're right. Like like Limbo and Inside both they not neither of them even had any narration, no setup, no. You know, I mean, I think they both have like one sentence descriptions. You know, if you like mm-hmm. look it up in the store, they're you know, and none of that text is in the game. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's 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 pretty cool, and I you know maybe maybe two D platformers or you know whatever force perspective platformers, whatever you want to call them, have have an advantage there because you are you do have a lot of control over you know things like what your player sees and the order in which they see it. And, you know, you can sort of visually control the story much more specifically than you could if it were in like an open world game or something like that, where people have agency to go, go look at things from the angle that they want and see things from different perspectives and that sort of thing. I mean, it, it almost contradicts what I was saying earlier, where it's like, if your character has a backstory, I feel like they should have a voice themselves, but you know the Zelda series. Link is is never had. He's very much his own character, but I think it works really well for him being a silent protagonist. I don't know if you guys have played more of him. Why do you think it? Do you think it works well? well so Link being so, I'll I'll jump into this because I think this is going to actually lead into my next point. I've said this before on the show. I think that um, all that the majority of video game players need to know is who the bad guy is and how to kill him. Like that's all most players need to motivate them to play a video game. So as games start to try to tell, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger stories with, you know, branching paths and stuff like that, it sort of becomes a little more necessary to, you know, have more outlets for communicating that story. One of those outlets can be uh, a voice to the main character. But when I think about a game that, that does really well, and, and it's sort of weird to compare Zelda and Doom but when I think of like a, a game that does this really well I think of Doom uh, the 2016 one where it's a the story itself is is pretty simple right like you're just trying to close the gate to hell and to do that you just have to shoot everything in your way and it doesn't really need a voice to the main character because the the motivations are very simple and yeah if you, I mean almost almost like if you did add add voiceover to that character you'd end up with somebody like duke nukem right like yeah. it, would, it would almost make it even silly like <laughs> like you're like oh yeah smash you know like yeah you're, but you're... <laughs> <laughs> that's really good but but you get what i'm saying like it it, it would just be redundant in in a game yeah. like doom to have him have a voice because you're already i mean that game's pretty linear you've already been along for the ride and one of the things that they did so expertly in that game is when you arrive at these moments where agency is taken away from the player, where, you know, Doom guy is sort of doing his own thing, uh, you know, whatever it is, like he's being told to like flip the switch and instead he just smashes the console. That's <laughs> Those moments are genius because you as the player, 
that's what you want to fucking do. You're going to be like, no, fuck you. <laughs> I know you're, <laughs> I know right. you're going to betray me. I'm just going to smash this shit so you can't use it later. And it works so perfectly there that, um, you know, a voice for that, for that isn't necessary. And I think maybe Link falls into the same category, right? Like the, the main thrust of a, of a Legend of Zelda game is, you know, defeat Ganon and, and save Zelda. Do you need Link to say anything necessarily? I don't know that I don't know that you do. So it might be perfect that he forever has not really said very much. You you clearly don't need him to say anything because it, he hasn't, and he you know those games are still really compelling and still really good. I sort of tend to think that if they made the first Zelda today, it would almost be inexcusable not to have some sort of voice for the character. So I think I think yeah. I think some of it is like I look back at you know I've been playing Zelda since The Legend of Zelda and and like I don't think those games need you know they're designed in a way that they don't you know they don't incorporate voice and they don't need voice and so that and that was never really a focus of the you know the narrative wasn't really I mean it's become more developed over time but you know it was pretty basic bad guy princess you know stuff and then they mm-hmm. that evolved and you know they've done done some different stuff with it but i don't know do you i mean do you guys feel like the latest zelda installment is is there any of that weirdness that you feel when you know these all these characters are talking to link and link doesn't have anything to say really like is that weird or is that just i mean do we accept it because that's what we expect it doesn't feel weird but i think it is because that you know we have that past with Link already established. Right, you know? like I don't expect him If to it was a new IP, I, I feel like, I don't know, it's it's hard to say. You carried, you <laughs> carried a, that baggage into Breath of the Wild. Right, right, yeah. And I don't know, like, I, I, I'm having trouble trying to articulate what makes it feel right when there is a silent protagonist because, yeah, I think if it was a brand new IP and and the protagonist didn't speak, but while everyone else was talking to you, that would not feel right to me. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the things that get called out and it's, it's more, it's feels more evident in first person games to me because it's like, they're literally talking to your face and yeah, you know, you're kind of like, okay, what do you, you know, you kind of look around or whatever, but, but can't actually say anything. Yeah. I don't know. But also like the story isn't necessarily that important to the Zelda games. That is also true. I feel like it's always been more about your journey and exploration than it has about the narrative. So maybe that's the thing is like, they're not trying to dump all this exposition on you. They're just, you know, the characters who do speak are just kind of there to get you to the next thing or, or direct you in, in some way, but it's not all that important to the experience of Zelda. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and I, I agree with that. I tend to think that, I mean, like what would, what would Link even sound like? Like who would, I mean, right. being the, being the casting director for that would be like, you know, playing Russian roulette, except you only have one yeah. empty chamber. Right. And <laughs> you're just like, Oh my God, I hope I find the right person. You know, uh, aside well, from uh, the, the movie that came out, what, you know, can you imagine having a conversation with Mario? That would probably be terrible. I feel like it would just be one long stereotype. Well, of we're Italian we're about yeah. to see what we're about to see what happens with that because illumination is making that movie. So we'll see if they, decide to voice him i don't know if you can do that <laughs> i guess wasn't there i mean wasn't he's gonna be TV mario's show? gonna be in wreck it ralph too am i crazy did they make a like a mario and luigi tv show i think that they did yeah there's like an animated cartoon did right? he speak in that i have no idea i don't remember <laughs> either 
It's I a stereotypical. Like, I mean, yeah. like, like, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's the problem with them, right? They are, they are yeah. stereotypes. And so, and yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think if you had a fully voiced Mario movie, people would be like, mm, I don't know, man. We'll see how this goes. I'm, I am, I'm a little curious. <laughs> Mario, it's important that you go down this tube and rescue the princess. It's a me. Y- yes, I understand. Yes, we Mario. know. It's one of, <laughs> we, we, we've we, said we it over and over already. again for Anyways. 25 years. We've heard you say it, Mario. <laughs> He's like he's like a plumbing savant. He can just all he can say is like five sentences. Is Mario a Pokemon? <laughs> Think about it. Be. Maybe. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I feel like this is maybe the part of the show where I have to bring up Proteus. Uh, it's been a, it's been quite a while since I've brought it up on the show, Jared. All right, I'll be back. Let me know when you're done. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll text you and let you know. Jeff, have you played the game Proteus at all? I I have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow, we found someone else who's played Proteus. Yes. Now, this is a game that sort of, uh, I don't know if it necessarily fits into this discussion perfectly. Um, there's there's no voiced characters in the game. The reason I just wanted to bring it up for, for this part of the discussion is because, to me, Proteus is the game that sort of breaks down the conventions of all other video games to their most like simple components. And... That's a game that, that is all about you as the player, your experience in that world. And to then, you know, for, for the developer, Ed Key, to, you know, put anything else in there to, to further define who you are or what your experience is, I think would detract from that game. So, I, you know, while there's never really an opportunity there for, for the character to speak, you're alone on this procedurally generated island. It, to me, is like the perfect reason to not have dialogue in a game. Like it's, it's all about you as the, you as the player having this experience, you know, on your, on your own, as minimal as that experience is. The only narration I would accept in that game, and this is a maybe, is like Bob Ross. That's it. (laughs) There you go. It might be cool. It might be cool to have. we have a happy little pawn. Yeah. Yeah, Some sort of, some sort of like commentary from Ed Key or like Like, the, uh, like the Bennett Foddy stuff. Like that yeah. might be cool, <laughs> but but no, I mean, I mean, I was, I was, I was mainly being facetious, but yeah, I mean like that, that's a perfect example of a game where you're like, dude, don't, you don't need to tell me what's happening. You don't, you don't mm-hmm. need to, you know, give me much instruction. You just, I just, I'm here to experience this, you know, are you a person in that game? Maybe. Or are you just kind of like a floating consciousness, like was experiencing the environment? It's up to you, I think. I think that game is all about like what you bring into that game and, and experiencing it for yourself. Like there's not, I don't think there's a clear story. Like to me, when I played that game, it's a game about, uh, you know, life and change and event, you know, eventually death, but that might not be the same thing that everyone thinks as they play that game. They, people might have very different interpretations and I appreciate that they, that there was nothing else added to that game to define what that experience is for the player. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like appreciating abstract art it's it's like and 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 proteus is not abstract but it's 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 an abstraction and it's also you know very sort of uh you know part of the experience depends on not just what's on the canvas but what's in the observer like what they bring to the canvas and what what life experience and perspectives and perceptions and and all that sort of stuff so it's like this this codependent piece of art like, I think it's really cool. Now, Jeff, um, since you've been working on Narcosis, there was something I was kind of curious about. I I have not had a whole lot of time to really experience a lot of 
VR games. You know, for me, it's mostly been like on the, the show floor at GDC or, you know, when a guy's doing a demo at Best Buy or whatever. But have, have you experienced games where the protagonist is voiced in VR? I'm curious how that how that gets handled in those kinds of games. Um, I, not many. Um but yeah, a few where, and, and just, just generally speaking, it's not as like, it's not as disorienting as you think it might be. Um, I mean, does, does your protagonist have a voice in narcosis? Um, I, uh, spoiler, spoiler alert. Yeah. Yes. So, 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 I mean, yeah, it, it's really interesting. Um, how narcosis would fit into this, into this, uh, conversation. And it's, and it's a conversation that, is difficult to have without sort of ruining what the player is. Cause look, we, we, uh, without giving anything away, it, it's a game where we give you an impression. The player makes assumptions. Then we go, we add something to that that makes them ask questions about the nature of the narrative. And then we sort of further flip it around a little bit. And then at the end, we just completely, Pull a <laughs> pull. pull the short answer is play narcosis. Narcosis is the name of his his childhood sled. Is what you're saying? There, there it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it is something like like you couldn't really explain that unless you got into a really deep conversation about Citizen Kane, right? It's it's, <laughs> and I don't, and I'm not trying to overhype it in terms of it being the end all be all of anything, but it's we did a really clever narrative thing, I think, and the sort of proof of that is watching playthroughs. Uh, from people and I've seen, you know, more than, more than a handful of people getting a little choked up more than a handful of people just going, Oh my God, what the, f- Oh my God, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> All right. So, All right. I'm going to have to play so, this now. So, uh, yeah. And, and, and yeah, I'd love to, I'd love, love to hear what you guys think after you play it. Let me know if I'm oh, way, sure. way overselling it, but, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, that's anyway, sorry, sorry for the weird mealy kind of like. <laughs> not really giving anything specific. I hope that was at least intriguing. And no, you you just sold a copy to me, so I am going to go play that now because I am I am intrigued. Now, have you have you played any other VR games that have a voiced protagonist? Does it? Because to me, like again, not having a lot of personal experience in it, it seems weird in that case where you're so present in that world to essentially have someone else's words coming out of your mouth. Seems like it might be very bizarre. So uh, uh, another game that I was did a, did a bit role for that just came out, Dead Secret Circle. Um, it's sequel to Dead Secret, which is a first-person uh, murder mystery thing that you're solving. So it's you know it's a puzzle game, murder mystery, but you're there's also dialogue and you're interacting with characters trying to figure out who did it. Um, and in that game, there are uh, in in Dead Secret Circle at least there are instances where your character is is speaking but i think i you know now that i think about it i think the majority of times that your character speaks it's actually they're reading a note or a or a, or a journal entry or something mm. that they that they've written down based on what they've experienced so it's like voice in your head kind of thing yeah and and it's not but you know i really should i really should know this i don't think i don't think think that that the the main character actually you know it's typical dialogue tree stuff like you know when you're talking to a character they're talking Mm -hmm. to you you're selecting responses but you're not actually articulating those uh yeah responses but but anyway the the i think i think 
maybe what you're getting at is like if you're if you're in a virtual 3D space and a voice is sort of coming from you but you're not saying anything does it create a weird you know sort of disconnect and the answer is sort I I guess the the the, long, the short answer is yes it does create a little bit of a disconnect but really not as much as you would think just because mm. the posi- positional audio in in VR and the VR headsets is so good you know they can it's real easy to tell like if a character's talking to you and they're based on their position you know who's speaking and so when it's coming directly from you it's it's not disorienting in that way it is a little disorienting in terms of oh i'm not i'm saying this but i'm not saying this yeah i'm curious you know as hopefully vr you know starts to take off a little bit more i mean i'm i'm excited for the future of of vr but i'm i'm curious how developers and designers will choose to approach that moving forward and how audiences will respond to to that you know if being put in the vr goggles and having words that you're not saying coming out of your essentially out of your mouth you know is that something that people will be will respond positively to i'm not sure and no, the other thing that's interesting yeah the other thing i was i was trying to think of as i was putting show notes together for this episode is in other mediums are there examples like good examples of silent protagonists that you guys can think of the only thing that came to my mind was um the movie Hardcore Henry, and I don't know if either of you have seen it, but that's the first was, person run, right? Yeah, first it's, yeah. it, and very, very much influenced by video games. I, I, I don't know too much about the production of that movie, but I would be shocked if the the writer was not a big video game player because so much of it seems cribbed straight from video games. Like, sure. there's essentially different levels in the movie. You know, there's the tank level, and there's the you know the shootout in the strip club level, and there's so it, it, it's structured very much like a video game. Um, that one was interesting because the main character in that one doesn't speak. They, they explain why he doesn't speak uh, very early in the movie. Like he, he's being repaired from some incident that happened before the, the film started and they weren't able to like fix his voice box before everything goes off the rails. <laughs> but, it, but it's cool because by, by playing with those conventions of video games, it, it doesn't necessarily the main character doesn't necessarily need to speak. Um, and any time that there's, uh, you know, he's asked a question, he responds with a yes or no. It's the camera literally shaking up and down or side to side. So it's, it's kind of cool. I, it was like the only thing I could think of. And, uh, I don't know if people haven't seen it. Go check <laughs> I mean, it out. if we're talking about like outside video games, like I, I kind of think of theme park rides, like the Indiana Jones ride has a, has a story and mm. you're kind of a protagonist, I guess, but you, you know, they're, they're, they're talking at you. And uh, assume making certain assumptions like you don't want to die and stuff like that. So I don't know. I <laughs> you don't guess know that me. Kind of works. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know why I got on this right. That's right. No, that's uh, that's actually a, that's actually a really interesting. You know, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, you're 100 percent right. Like I, I I don't know. I'm sure there are movies out there, and there, I'm sure there are movies that I've seen where the the main character is uh, mute. Yeah, I mean, if anyone's out there listening to this, like, please write it in because I'm sure this exists out there. But it it's, probably it's does. Kind of escaping I, me. At the same I mean, time. in video games, I think there's a lot of you know good good reasons to have a character that doesn't speak, right? Like, it allows you to retain a certain amount of uh, I don't know. You're able to project a certain amount of your own personality into the character, and you retain agency in how you are emotionally responding to the the stimulus in the video game. Um, but I don't know that that 
that necessarily translates well to other mediums, which is kind of why I was trying to, you know, going through this thought exercise of like what, you know, what movies don't have a, a speaking protagonist and how does that affect the experience in, in that kind of setting, you know, in a being sort of a passive observer of a movie or a TV show or reading a book. Um, well, yeah, well, what about something like Wally, right? Like, yeah, I guess Wally, yeah, Wally is, a, I guess, a good example. He doesn't really communicate much that's verbal it's you know super important to the narrative like you know he says a few things but they're all sort of robotifications of things yeah the majority of that is sort of like the chaplain-esque like pantomime and physical comedy and you know communicating things Mm -hmm. visually you know through through a lot of visual tricks and behaviors and things like that yeah and i i I wonder if that creates a certain amount of like empathy for it for a character when it's you're passively watching it like you know Wally's inability to speak does that you know does that engender some sort of sympathy because I think that it in a video game it doesn't necessarily right like there's there's a certain expectation of video games where we're okay when a protagonist doesn't necessarily have a voice but it's used used for a very different purpose in in something like Wally I don't know I I, maybe I'm taking us way too far off topic we can get back to talking about exclusively (laughs) video games here uh, Jeff, what can the what can the video game industry do moving forward to maybe improve the way that silent protagonists are used in the medium? Hmm, that's a good question. I I think it's it's really being conscious of the story you're trying to tell and who the player is inhabiting. The general rule of thumb I'd sort of nudge people towards is is like if your character is an authored character. You know, if they have a backstory, if they have their own personality, if other people in the world already know them and react to them and and that sort of stuff, then, you know, voice your, and especially if all the other characters have voices, voice your character. You know, don't be afraid to, you know, say, look, we're going to tell you a story about this, this character that we've created. And, and that's, and, and, you know, there may be, choice in there there maybe you can you can do things a different way within the context of the story but they everything makes sense everything is true to this character you may be different than this character and and what you need to do is you know this is an exercise in pretending to be someone else right yeah where whereas if you are creating a open world massively i mean you know even massively multiplayer or not but if you're if you're doing something like no man's sky or a space exploration game or a trading game depending on the mechanics that you focus on it's really you know if it's all about the character or the player projecting themselves into the game they are this character um and you don't have mechanisms where that character needs to exchange a lot of dialogue or communicate with other characters on a regular basis I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess what it boils down to is if like your character's talking to somebody and they're talking to you, if they don't talk, I mean, if your character doesn't talk, it's going to be a little weird unless there's a narrative justification for it. Um, I like that we're asking Jeff, like, what's the best way to put out less work for you in the future? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, well, I mean, no, I, I, I think, I think it's a completely valid design decision, but it's one that was first driven by technological limitations and was sort of, you know, the continued, there's some continued use of it, but, but use of it in a way that I think is misguided. Like 
it's sort of like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll have the silent protagonist, and that way the, the player can put themselves into this character, and then they're having the character do things that, you know, is a cognitive dissonance for the actual mm. person playing the game. They're like, dude, I wouldn't do that, or like, I, that's not me, and, and, but they've set the game up as, well, this is you, you know? And so yeah. I, I just think don't be afraid to tell a story with compelling characters, um, and don't be afraid to author those characters to the extent that, you know, to, to make them effective at doing that. And also realize that if you're going to try and deliver, you know, character arcs and have emotional crescendos and moments and things, having a non-speaking character from first-person perspective, you're not going to be able to achieve that even remotely as easy as something like, you know, The Last of Us did with two protagonists and you know completely voiced performances so you know it's 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 just being conscious of what kind of art you want to make and what you know is it an experience okay maybe not as important to voice the main the the protagonist if it's a story that you're telling and and you know there are characters that you will interact with that will be talking to you and your character has agency in the world then yeah they probably should have a voice just my just my just my two cents no, I think the, I think those are great points that you raised. Jared, is there anything that you wanted to add or a, a separate point you wanted to make about what could be improved in the future? I just think that like the two best solid examples that we've pointed out, um, in my mind, being Dark Souls and Limbo and Inside, those games are really solid on their visual storytelling. And it kind of goes back to like in film, it's always, you know, show, don't tell. You know, show me, show me these things. I don't need I don't need you to sit there and uh, provide me with you know a monologue of exposition so maybe just those games did a really good job of, from the ground up they were designed in a way that the stories all delivered through the things that you're seeing as you play through the game and that's what makes them work so well so uh, making that, that really conscious decision that you're going to use uh, the gameplay and and the visual storytelling uh, to to drive your story I think is is what I'd like to see more of yeah, and I guess maybe to kind of piggyback on that, going back to I think something that Jeff had mentioned, uh, maybe more towards the top of the show, is if if it's important that the character goes through an arc, but it's also important that the character doesn't speak, finding alternative ways to to represent that arc. So if it is something like uh, you know mechanics or like a some sort of level up mechanic or some sort of Metroidvania progression system, whatever it is, finding a creative way to do that and. So much of video games is based on destroying other things, you know, conquering, destroying, killing. I'll kind of go back to something I said when we had Tanya on the show last time when we were talking about RPG progression systems is I, I would like to see something that, you know, a system that rep- represents growth in a way that is not necessarily tied to how, well, how good you are at killing something. So if you're, you know, if you have a character who is going through an arc where they're becoming more, I don't know, more empathetic to to go back to that old uh, uh, example I gave in the other episode, like finding ways to represent that growth. Uh, I think, I think it'd be really cool. Um, cool. I, I, I feel like we, uh, we got through a lot of really good stuff with silent protagonists. They're, yeah, not they're, bad. they're definitely, it's definitely interesting how they're sort of unique to video games. So I was, I thought this was a, a really cool discussion about something that is very video gamey and doesn't necessarily extend outside of video games in too many other ways. Yeah, I mean, when we were sort of 
throwing this idea around as a topic, I, my first instinct is that like, I don't like it. But then I we started talking about all these other games that I was like, oh yeah, that did have a silent protagonist. Uh, and I think that the reason I kind of forgot that they were silent protagonists is because it was just done so well. Yeah, the other elements so, are good. Yeah, so I, you know, I think that that is it's a cool. It's what I got out of this conversation is it uh, this little thought exercise is that it, it when it's done well, you're not sure that anyone did anything. Yeah, that's all. our favorite. Yeah. <laughs> favorite <Basically. quote. laughs> yep, yep. Well, cool. If if uh, you have any questions or comments about silent protagonists or any of our previous topics, you can always send us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. We we love hearing all of the feedback, Jared. Yeah, we got. We got? actually a lot of feedback we we, we kind of made a call in the last couple episodes that we were a little light so thank you everyone who who wrote in uh, i'm probably not gonna get to all of them today but uh one of my old co-workers that i worked with years ago he actually messaged me on facebook he said i just started listening to your podcast and i love it we should have talked about games more back then uh, i'm only two in but i'll get caught up and i, I appreciate that that was from uh, my buddy aaron that i haven't talked to in a long time yeah that's, that's uh, we also cool. got a thread on twitter from alex fogelman he wrote to us and he said, Hey, GB Feature, I'm catching up and I'm listening to episodes 25 and 26, which were children in games and linear narrative, respectively. Uh, he said, Excellent guests, engaging conversation. One thing I thought carried over nicely between the two episodes. Uh, in episode 25, AJ commented on how the Famicom was trying to figure out the market and found that mostly children were playing the games. That crossed into episode 26, where Kim and Jared were decrying video games as a representation of consumerism rather than art, as films are perceived, though I disagree with most blockbuster films being art. Agreed. Jared Bruner stated that he thought video games were in their infancy and might be able to grow up to be art. I'd like to add to the conversation that kids that were playing the Famicom are now grown up and redefining the video game genre as a series conveyance of complex topics. It's been neat to watch the evolution of games from children's playthings to more serious thematic explorations on any number of topics. And I think we, we in, at least in one of those episodes, we kind of touched on that, that idea that we, uh, the people who you know were playing those games as kids mm-hmm. are now the people in charge of making them. It's so funny that Alex said this because I think before you hopped into the Discord channel with us jeff and i were talking about this exact same thing that sort of from a from a narrative side of things video games are still very much in their infancy like we're still trying to figure out the best ways to communicate story to a player without relying on those components of other storytelling mediums in our culture and then here we are inventing new technology like vr where we have to figure it out all over again yep Oh yeah, which is interesting. Well, and that, and the implication <laughs> that that has on film as well. I mean, all these all these really good old school directors can't figure out. You know, it's like it's like learning a new discipline that you don't. Yeah. You're like oh, it's a movie, but it's in three D. It's like no, it's it's you know where did where do you where does the audience look? How do they know where to look? You know mm-hmm. what you know all all this sort of weird stuff you don't have to have to worry about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just one more thing about. Uh, games narrative in general and and that is that you know what you were saying steve about it being such a young medium that is sort of you know we had we've had sort of the graphical push and we'll continue to push higher graphical fidelity and and you know frame rate and the technological marvels and the ways to connect people in games and stuff like that but you know the real untapped frontier is like you know, there are so many ways that you can use video games to tell stories that mm-hmm. people just 
don't realize we've we're, we're already training ourselves to to view them like film to to make video games be interactive film and they're really so much more than that that's beautifully said that's it's something that that pops up on the show often the understanding that video games can provide so much more than they currently are we got a message from ben a he sent us a message via our website and he said in reference to your lore episode there's one instance of lore ruining my game experience in spider-man web of shadows wolverine attempts to verify spider-man is not an imposter by asking him a series of multiple choice questions about marvel comics lore and failure causes you to lose the game this is an open-world PS3 game, not a 1994 PC point-and-click adventure. What were they thinking? I think that's I think that's kind of funny. They're that's like, hilarious. They're, they're causing you to fail the game if you're if you don't know the backstory of Spider-Man. Yeah. I guess. You know what children love in their video games? Multiple-choice tests, quiz, quiz. yeah, yeah. <laughs> reminder well, of school. You, this the original Leisure Suit Larry may predate you guys, but um, that the parental control, the parental lock feature on that was basically a every time you booted the game up you had to answer like three questions that were questions that only your parents would know the answer to <laughs> <laughs> you know like stuff that a kid would just have to look up or like and back then it was like you didn't just go on the internet to look it up you had to like find right, an encyclopedia yeah. or a, mm-hmm. you know whatever but anyway that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> uh thank you thank you ben a for sending that thank in. you ben. um we, we got we got some great feedback and i, I appreciate everyone continuing to write in yeah. it's it's a huge part of what, what keeps us uh doing this yeah thank you alex and thank you to aaron yep and that's it for today cool well again if you have your own feedback for us want to let us know anything about the show or about our topics you can always write to us podcast at gbfeature.com we we do love hearing all of it and that's going to do it for this episode before we get out of here i have to thank our guests Jeff Mattis, Jeff, thank you so much for being here, man. This has been a treat for me. Again, like going going all the way back to Weekend Confirmed, I was a huge fan, so it's been a joy to have you on here and finally get to chat with you. Absolutely, man. It's been a lot of fun hanging with both of you guys. Uh, it's a really cool show you got going on here, and uh, wish nothing but the best for you. Thank you, man. Thank where, you. Where, where can uh, our listeners keep up with you? Uh, probably the easiest way is uh, follow me on Twitter at, at Jeff Mattis, and, uh, um, you know, don't be uh, hesitant to reach out if you're an indie game dev. Yeah, and, it, and also in, in the podcast uh, show description, we'll put a link to uh, your Voice Realm profile and you can check out all of Jeff's work. Oh, very yeah, cool. and please do. Please get Jeff's dulcet tones in your video game. I'd love to hear him, I'd love to hear him everywhere. <laughs> let's, get, let's replace Nolan North. Yeah, there, there we go. It was a good run, Nolan. But. <laughs> well, cool. As a, as a reminder, we release new episodes of this podcast every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, head over to iTunes and give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast, This Is Rad, on iTunes. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. I'm at Jared Gruner. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. Maybe if you disagree, just be the silent protagonist. Just be the silent protagonist. Exactly. (laughs) It is an option. All right, cool. Thank you, guys. guys.